This is Deep Natter. In this episode, a discussion around birthdays leads to a deeper dive into how limitations can often take our work into unexpected directions. We also talk about mindfulness, and Sean offers some powerful advice on how we can be more present, not just in our work, but also in our day-to-day lives. Here we go. If I look to the right of me, now I see white cinder block walls where there's going to be these beautiful poplar plywood panels. Very cool. So it's just a reminder to get everything done. And I've, I've framed some art to put up. I, I took out a couple of my um, uh, Shepherd Fairy screen prints, Obey screen prints, and had them you know framed. And, and so those are ready to go up. I had a, a large acoustic panel that I built for the upstairs space, but it was too big for this space. So I ended up, rather than starting from scratch, I just recut it, you know, rebuilt the whole thing to the correct size. And, and now that's ready to go. Very cool. Just little things, but it's, it's all, it all adds up, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's great, man. Nothing more exciting than new space. Yeah. I rearranged my desks this week. Nice. <laughs> and you painted. <laughs> I did paint. Yeah. Yeah. Farrow and Ball Elephant's Breath, because, you know... That's such a great color. Love a warm gray. Yeah. Does it feel different? Do you Are you starting to feel sort of more... Not nested in, but maybe maybe that is the right word. Getting these walls painted and getting more decor and, and that kind of thing. Are you starting to feel more at home in the place? Because I know you've also got the backyard coming up as well. Yeah, I mean, the minute the minute I put paint on the walls, because it was that first time, every other time I've been renting places and you have to ask a landlord if you can paint the walls or put sure. hooks in the walls for pictures. And the answer is always no, because it's easier to say no than yes, you know? Right, right. Uh, but like, this is this is mine. I get to screw it up in my own unique way. So it's kind of nice to, to, yeah, put your stamp on something. Yeah, definitely. The minute I put paint on the walls, um, it felt like a bit of my personality in it. And it was like, okay, this is... This is feeling like mine now, which is quite cool, rather than than a place they're just letting me stay for now. It's right. Like, you know, this is right. Like, yeah, you're no longer a guest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. There is something about that, isn't there? There is something about making a space one's own that that really does change. I mean, for me, it, it changes my not only the emotional connection to the space, but it changes my physiology. I'm sitting up, I feel like I'm sitting up a little straighter. I feel like I'm you know, I'm a little more eager to put this space to use, you know, because it, it, it costs time and money and, mm-hmm. and, you know, resources and all of this stuff. And I now feel as though I have to earn all of those things. I have to earn the effort that has been put into creating this space. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's changed, uh, just, just moving the desks around this week. It was weird. Like it puts you in a different headspace, even just changing your physical space. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have the only investment I've made in my office this week was painting that one feature wall, but just changing the way I face. Cause I was facing into the wall before, um, and the light came through during the day. Uh, but it was like glaring off this white wall in front of me. You found yourself getting quite tired with all that light in your face bouncing off this very stark white wall. So now I've now painted that wall, this kind of mid-gray, and turned the desks around so I'm facing into the room. So the desks are in an L shape, mm-hmm. which kind of puts me back against the wall with this de- these two desks around me, 
puts me in all this like this little cockpit, you know? Yeah, it's like a little command center, isn't it? Exactly. And it just makes you feel okay, you know, I, I kind of sat behind the desk the first time, I'm like, okay, let's go. You know, I don't know what I'm doing next, but let's do it. Right. <laughs> just right. feel in that slightly more get to work state, you know, which is great. Yeah, I, I love it. And in fact, Adrian, we moved a little love seat in here behind me. Oh, cool. And Adrian came down here yesterday and spent a couple hours on a conference call and doing some of her work in this space with me. And it was fantastic. Oh, that's nice. That's great. Yeah. You've got an office buddy. I do. I do. And, and what better yeah. office buddy? Yeah, you can gossip about each other around the water. That's right. Cooler. That's right. <laughs> As we record this today, it is uh, it is her fiftieth birthday today. Oh, happy birthday, Adrian! Yeah, oh, yeah. I'll send her my love. She is so excited, and uh, Adrian loves birthdays, and mm -hmm. uh, her exuberance and her excitement over birthdays has kind of rubbed off on me over the years because I traditionally have not been very excited over my own birthday. Uh, but mm -hmm. she, she really does view a birthday as kind of a personal holiday and, and really goes the distance to make that person, whoever that person is in her circle feel special. And, uh, wow. so it's, it's just, it's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really excited. She's out shopping on, on her, on her treasure hunt this morning. And then, uh, we'll go pick up, uh, the girl after school. And then we'll have uh, a little celebration this evening, this afternoon. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Really cool. What do you like on birthdays? You know, traditionally, um, I don't give them a lot of energy. And, and yeah. I think that's partly because we moved around so much when I was a kid. I mean, we moved every year until I was in high school. So I never really had a strong group of friends. Mm that were consistent from year to year. You know, I was always the new kid at school and then come summertime we would move and my birthday is in the summer. So it would either be, you know, right before my birthday that we would move or right after and I'd be in this new place and wouldn't know anybody. So it just didn't really make for a positive experience. Mm. So I just never really put a lot of stock into them. But um you know, like I said, being here with, with Adrian, she's allowed me to come to a different place around that. And, mm. you know, I, I look for like this year, man, this is a big one, Sean. Mm. This, I think this might even be bigger than when I turned 50 because 50 was good and bless her heart. You know, she had a bunch of people come over and it was, it was terrific. It was really terrific. Mm. It was the first, my 50th birthday party, other than my first birthday party, which, you know, you don't remember any of those, but it was the first birthday party I've ever had. Wow. And it was fantastic. I mean, she really made it mm -hmm. special. And I was hoping that we could do something like that this year for hers. But, you know, kind of COVID being what it is and yeah. people are kind of either unable or, or more to the point unwilling to be in large groups. And I understand that. And I'm, I'm mostly there as well. We're going to postpone it until, until the springtime. But, um, yeah, they've never, they've never been something that I really look forward to. Although this year, 55. So I get, I start getting all the senior discounts, which I'm really excited about. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Why? No, I won't be paying full price for that movie ticket. Thank you. 
no, you've been giving me a nice little grandpa's discount. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and I don't mind eating dinner at three in the afternoon. That's okay that's, with uh, me. That's my preferred time. I can be in bed by eight. I love that's it. Right. <laughs> Who are we Who kidding? Who doesn't want that? <laughs> Who doesn't want that? How about you? You Do you have a, a, a routine or a ritual around birthdays? Are they special for you in that way? Yeah, I avoid them like the plague. Do my, you really? My ritual. Well, I just, I don't like the fuss. I've yeah. always just, a, I haven't, I've never been a fan of the fuss. So I don't really tell anyone it's my birthday. And people will message and stuff and, you know, family might call and that. And that's, that's nice. But I, yeah, I, I would never arrange to meet up with people because it's my birthday. I mean, I'd, I'd hate that. Like, I think that's an introvert thing though. I think you'd never, you'd never put yourself on purpose in a room and say, Hey, the reason we're here is to pay attention to me. It's not an introvert thing to do. Right, 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 right. Would so, you like, allow I, it if someone say your girlfriend, if she wanted to plan a party yeah. for you, would you be okay with that? Uh, she's an introvert too. So she'd know she wouldn't do that to me. She, she wouldn't do, she, <laughs> it's just a quiet evening in front of the fire. She'd never do that to me because <laughs> she knows I'd do it to her if she did. Right. Um, yes. No, like I, I've, uh, I mean, I've had the odd surprise party before, but yeah, I mean, which, you know, then you just smile, put on a brave face and get through it basically. But no, I've, I would never, I would never do that to myself. No, I, I just, not, I'm not a fan. I love, I love going to other people's stuff is fine. Like, uh, as long as I can be in bed by eight, as we said. Right. Yeah. As long as you can leave after a half an hour. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I don't mind celebrating other people. I just think there's something about introverts. Like, please don't put me in a, well, I'm not going to put myself in a room and tell you all you have to pay attention to me. Right. That's my night. That's my nightmare, literally. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty much the same. And I don't like surprises. You know, I don't like, Mm. like even to the point where I, I get fussy and uncomfortable around gifts if I don't know what they are in advance, mm-hmm, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is horrible. Yeah. You're like, can I return this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're that guy. Well, I, because again, <laughs> it's- Do you give me the receipts for all these? Seriously, it's that fuss kind of thing. You know, but yeah. before I even moved here, Adrian sent me as kind of a, hey, here's a, here's a thing. Like she sent me a pair of bows what are they? Q, QC35, like the noise canceling oh, headphones. Lovely. Yeah, they're amazing. To use on the flight coming out. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I can't accept these. I can't accept Oh, them. they're so good. You ended up returning yeah. them. Can't do it. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, found out that I, I haven't no, that no, I don't deserve it. Found out that I loved writing and, and fountain pens. And she, she sent me this beautiful vanishing point fountain pen. And I was like, oh, no, I can't accept that. I have, wow. to, I have to return this. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It just, oh, I get really uncomfortable around that. Hopefully I've gotten over that. So if anybody does want to send me either a pair of Bose <laughs> QC35s or, yeah. or a Vanishing Point fountain pen, please yeah. contact for me and 50, I will. For his 55th, he'll, he'll take it happily with a smile on his face. <laughs> That's right. I've learned. Yeah. I've, I've grown, yeah. Sean. <laughs> I'll believe it when I see it. I'm going to send you a pair, see what happens. Oh, with God. Them. No, please don't. Because I will send yeah, them Yeah, exactly. See already. It's all question. for show. Maybe. It's all for yeah, show. Exactly. Although I will tell you, uh, a friend of mine uh, that, that works at the National Gallery messaged me the other day and said, hey, the photo department is culling through uh, a bunch of their books and getting rid of things. Is there anything that you want? Ooh. Is there anything that you're looking for? Oh. And I was like, oh my gosh, uh, you mean out of everything that you guys have in, she's like, yeah, I mean, it's, I'll send you photos. So she sent me some photos 
And uh, I said, oh, well, this looks lovely. And this looks like, so she grabbed me these three beautiful books that they were getting rid of. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that, wow. for, for some reason that feels different. And I don't know why, I don't know why I that it's felt different. It's, it's not like, it's not like I went out and spent a bunch of money on you because it's your birthday. It was, it's like art sharing, which feels mm-hmm. different. It's a different category, I think for you, isn't it? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. It also didn't cost anyone anything hugely. I think that's what it does for me is that's where the guilt comes in. Yeah. You, uh, you just got back from filming. How did it go? Yeah, great. I went down to a place on the coast called Cleethorpes, which is a um, slightly run down British seaside town on the northeast coast uh, where there's a guy named Dan Baker who, who has been doing, do you call it street photography if it's on the beach? I, I, I don't I mean, want to get in trouble with street photographers. They seem. I don't know. They're, they're a fairly bunch. fastidious bunch, aren't they? I know. Yeah, they're really. They're really <laughs> you don't want to get really on their like bad their side. Terms. Yeah, <laughs> no, I really don't want to upset anybody. So he he does whatever, a documentary photography. Whatever. Yeah, sure. And he uh, he basically walks a stretch of it's only a hundred meters long that he mm-hmm. walks this stretch of beach between a pier and a little um, uh, like a little amusement park. It's got like a tiny little rickety roller coaster um if you can even call it that a, a helter skelter slide they call it and these swings that spin around on a merry-go-round um it's just 100 meters and he, he's walked it sort of uh, a few times a week for the last five or six years just a wow. little stretch wow and um he's come up with some beautiful stuff he's got a really nice kind of um mature style that's emerging and and obviously a very kind of deep dive documentary approach for, for that same stretch for so many, you know, repetitions of the same route. Mm-hmm. Um, people kind of lazily compare him to Martin Parr, but I, I honestly don't see it apart from the fact that he shoots at the coast. I think it's, or the seaside, you know, that's, I think that's as far as people are comparing it. But for me, he, he shoots color, but his color work is, is gorgeous. Cause it's, it's, a, um, it's got a lot more, so it's not as garish as Parr. It's a lot more kind of pastely, um, and he's, he works really, really hard on sort of bringing a nice, um, uh, consistent color palette to his images. So yeah, it was, it was lovely to spend some time with him. So that video should go up next weekend, not this weekend, next weekend. Yeah, were, really were you good. able to look at his body of work and see how it has changed over that five year period when he first started walking that, that beat, if you will, uh, to, to now, have you seen a progression or a change? Yeah, he did start out with very saturated colours. He's very honest in the video about, uh, I might not use this section actually, but he does talk about in the interview that I captured that he did start out and he didn't have a lot of control over the colours. So it was just a case of like punching the saturation to hopefully make it vibrant and that would cover for stuff. But he's learnt over time to sort of ride those colour channels and work out what mix of colours and hues he wants in his work. And uh, yeah, he's he's really kind of refined it. And he's also doing other things, like he's got different series so if you go to his website just just google dan baker d-a-n and then b-a-k-e-r um cleethorpes and you'll find him cleethorpes is c-l-e-e-t-h-o-r-p-e-s um and uh yeah he's got like a very um uh he's got a lot of different sorts of projects he's got these are lovely within that 100 meter stretch so he's got like uh he's done some long exposure so swinging the camera around at night and sort of catching the lights flying past he's got lots of stuff on signage lots of stuff on the characters who he sees around there he was doing some stuff during the pandemic of, of people hanging out on the beach but having to be distanced so he's really kind of this is i i i don't know if you saw but magnum on their website um they now 
sell uh, a series of, I think there's only a few up there. I think uh, John Meyerowitz, Steve McCurry and uh, Alex Soth are a few of them who've got like these courses you can, you can live, you can stream the videos for a price. And Alex Soth's course is on storytelling and photography. And one of the, one of the takeaways from that course for me was him saying, you know, when you start a long-term project, you have this kind of paralysis of choice. You could choose anything. It's very, very hard to decide what you want to do. So what he did is he says, I'm not sure what the story is going to be. I'm just going to give myself a geographical limitation and I'm going to go and see what happens, see what emerges. So Sleeping by the Mississippi, for example, he traveled from, I think he lives in Minnesota and he traveled down the Mississippi river to where does it end up? Louisiana. Something I like think that. maybe. Sure. Um, I mean, this is your country. I have no clue. I'm just going from memory. <laughs> well, but I don't he, know he, it all. Come on no, now. No, I mean, let's call it Louisiana. Sure. Something like that. So anyway, he, he basically just said, I'm going to drive the river down to the coast, but I'm not allowed to take photographs anywhere 100 meters, uh, more than 100 meters away from the river itself. Mm-hmm. So he gives himself this geographical limitation and then just starts going and shooting. So he comes across a mattress that's been discarded by the river and a dream catcher that's hanging in a tree and a guy who makes model airplanes who looks like he's sort of, you know, living out his childhood fantasies and dreams. And these, these ideas of sleeping and dreaming start emerging as he just starts photographing whatever takes his interest. And that's how the theme emerged. He didn't start with the theme necessarily. He just gave himself the geographical limitation and went and shot a ton of stuff and saw what themes emerged. And I really like that approach because that feels doable to me rather than having to like pre-conceptualize something from scratch. And for me, that's kind of what Dan has done is he sort of said to himself, well, I'm, I'm locking myself off to this 100 meter stretch and I'm just going to walk it over and over and over again and watch what changes and what moves around and who hangs out there and what the light does at different times of day and what the color themes are and what the shapes are and see what themes start to emerge. And if you go to his website, you'll see there's like five different sort of sets of images that he's working at. Those are the themes that are emerging for him over time. And I, I really like that. It's given me some stuff to think about for long-term projects for sure. Well, there's definitely a precedent. There's a long history of artists and photographers, uh, photographers particularly, who have done that. I mean, it's 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 that uh, uh, Saul Leiter, you know, Streets of New York. It's Fred Herzog at Vancouver. It's it's uh, Daido Moriyama mm-hmm. in Shinjuku. Um, I mean, even Josh Jackson in Chinatown, right? I mean, he's doing yeah. something similar, revisiting these places over and over and over again, yeah. waiting to see what emerges. Well, he, he's now moved on. I actually spoke to him this morning. We had a catch up on the phone. But like he's now moved on to other, other projects. But when he did Sleepless in Soho, for example, most of those images are taken within a city block, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're not like all over London. It's, it's quite a specific area that he's working in. Um, and it was, yeah, night after night after night, hour after hour, just walking those streets and seeing what he saw and what changed to get that project together. Yeah. But I think you're, I think you're right. I think giving yourself a set of, um, either limitations or, or parameters to work within, it's not unlike developing a photographic style. I mean, you can, you can look at people who, who go, I want my style to be this and then chase it versus people who photograph and let a style emerge. And I think those are, they end up being two very different types of bodies of work, right? I think so. Yeah, I think so. 
Yeah. I mean, I just find the idea of having to, to, and I think it's a mistake as well, but I find the pressure of, of having to preconceptualize a project from scratch. And that's the, 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 the temptation of the perfectionist is I have to have it all worked out before I start. And that's just not possible. Right. You know, you can't do that. And if you do, you'll probably, it's like making a documentary. You can't start with the answer. You start with the question and then you film a ton of stuff you go in with the right questions to work out what the answer is to answer the question you don't start with the answer but i think for people like me who i am a perfectionist and a control freak i almost want the answer first because because i, I want to know where it's going to end because i want to know it's going to be good and i want to have control at every stage and the the idea that it's out of control and emerging on its own terms and i don't have total control is scary but I don't think you can do good documentary unless you open yourself up to that lack of control and roll with it and go with where the current takes you. Right. Um, and that's important. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm learning that slowly is, is don't do this stuff um, unless you're willing to let go of it. Well, and it's satisfying something pretty deep in you because you keep coming back to these, doing these mini documentaries in, in, in service of something larger, in service of something even more in depth. So it's almost like these are, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, I hope it doesn't come off that way, but these are like the training wheels portion of the show where you're, you're, you're getting your sea legs in documentary so that yeah, you can do absolutely. this long form, deeper, yeah. you know, maybe even years long Ken Burns type of project. Yeah, because I, I do, I mean, obviously I only spend... I mean, usually I will film the interview with somebody in an hour to two hours. Um, it's it's It causes fatigue if you go for longer, honestly. Right, so right. I try and keep it fairly tight. I mean, that still generates two hours worth of footage that I've got to cut down to 15 minutes. And have you ever gone more than one session or are they all in one session in terms of the all interview? All in one session, yeah. Yeah, all, all in one session. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the problem if you split them into two is you're never going to match the lighting or anything else. You're going to see that it was split into two, and then you'll obviously wonder why. I, I find it a bit distracting. So I do try hit it in one. These are short-form videos, after all. Well, <laughs> short for me, anyway. So, right, right. You know, I, I, uh, I, I, but what happens in those interviews often is there's like a little thing that will emerge that I didn't plan on that actually becomes the the emotional hook that that to the story. Cause I could just talk to Dan about, Hey, you know, what camera do you use? Oh, I'm, I'm shooting with a Leica at the moment. I'm using this 35. Lens. I mean, I'm, I'm asleep already. I don't care. <laughs> but by, by the Sean? end of the video, this is Sean, yeah, Sean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sean, wake up. Uh, sorry, this is good here. stuff here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're drooling on your cameras. Um, but um by the end of the by the end of the interview though and this is like i've been cutting the video together today i was just what I was doing when you called is is the, the last um section what i'm going to end with is him talking about his struggles with dyslexia that came out hmm. and how he discovered that photography for him is a voice a, a, a literal voice that even though and I think he, I think he describes it like you know, you feel like you're kind of straitjacketed. You, everyone communicates in this one way, but you're not very good at it. And mm. and it's, and it's. He says trying to communicate. I think the term he used is sometimes it feels like trying to trying to put a size nine shoe on a size ten foot. It just doesn't fit you. And how he then went out and you know when he discovered photography in in high school and then university, he's like, this is my actual language. 
And and he the way he describes it is, I can say a thousand words by pressing a button. Yeah. And I'm like, that's the emotional hook of this story. For, for, there's lots of useful information about how he subframes stuff and how he composes stuff. But honestly, that's going to help beginners who who sort of want to learn how to take photographs. But for me, when I when when I hit that part of the interview at the end and I pick the music up behind that, that that will make you feel something and that that's those moments you hope for in documentaries but i only get one of those with everybody maybe if i'm lucky it doesn't always happen of course yeah and 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 i you're right it's training wheels it's learning how to do interviews with people that you can slowly get to that stuff each time so that if i do one day do a long form documentary i can fill it with that stuff you know it's not just it's not just uh, one sort of 20 minute video with some great technical info that ends with this kind of lift, which is great on its own. I, mean, I, I love that format. I think it really, really works. But what could I do if I really took my time over a few years to capture all that stuff and build those moments together to say something even bigger? That's exciting to me. Mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm. Recognizing that the effort and the practice not only counts, but is necessary to get you to that next place. You know, I think one of the things that I I started writing over the past week or so is this idea that, that we are so often, we are dissatisfied with the work that we're doing at the moment or the place that we're in at the moment, because we are so focused on where we think we could, should, or need to be. Yeah. And we, we, we lose sight of the fact that where we are, is exactly what's going to get us to that other place. And we need to focus yeah. on where we are in order to get to where we need, should, or want to be. Do you think that's just a patience issue? Boy, I don't know. Like wanting to be further along than we are? I don't know. Because in my own life, I find it very difficult. I find it very difficult to be present when the mic is off. Mm-hmm. When there is no record light, I'm living in the future or I'm living in the past. Typically, I'm going to get you a hat that just has a record light on it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Time to communicate, Jeffrey, the light's on. You know, and And I'm going to give Adrian the button for the light. (laughs) Oh, my God. That would be amazing. She would love you for that. She really would. She has said, no, hand to God. She has said, if you could always be like you are when you're recording, there'd be no stopping you. Yeah. You are a very different person. You're a very different listener. You're a different communicator. You're a different presence of mind when you are recording with someone else. And I, she's like, and I don't know why that is. I don't know why there's that distinction. I don't know why it is so easy for you to lock in and be present then. But when the light is off, it's what I didn't do X number of days, weeks, months, or years ago, and where I should be days, weeks, or months in the future. Mm. It's, it's very rarely that I'm in the present and I try to be, I try to be, but I mean, Jesus, Sean, you've, you've spoken to me enough to know that that's another area where I'm wildly inconsistent. And I think a lot of people share that. Oh yeah. I think a lot of people out there find it very difficult to be present in the now yeah. because there's so much before and after now that gives us pause or gives us anxiety or gives us hope or gives us fear or, you know, whatever it is yeah. that it tears us out of the present. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's very, very common. Yeah. Have you got any ideas about what that is for you? No. No. I, I wish I did. I do know that over the past several years, and 
if I'm being honest, I, I have to give you a lot of credit for this because Yay. <laughs> our conversations, even, even I will say this, even when we aren't recording and Adrian will vouch for this because she's, she's overheard some of them. I am very present with you and I feel that. Mm. And, oh, cool. and I think part of that is that you, in addition to being one of my closest friends, you are, you are an accountability buddy that I think everyone mm. needs to have one. Mm -hmm. Everyone needs to have an accountability buddy that someone that can tell them coming from a space of love, coming from a space of respect, mm -hmm. you are so full of shit right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that our dynamic, our friendship is such that I have learned a great deal about presence. I, I think I'm better along than I was. But I think mm. there's still a lot of work to do. Mm. The challenge is for any of us, for all of us, but I'll, I'll, I'll use myself. The challenge is not to focus on still what is at hand to do, but celebrate the little victories of what has been done. Yeah. I mean, because I'm going to guess that you are happiest when you're recording. Yes. Not when you are off mic stressing about the past or worrying about the future. Absolutely. It's, it's equal to painting for me. It really is. Yeah. It's equal to hands in motion because it is, it's just you and I, there's, there are two voices here. Yeah. Or if I'm talking to someone else, there, there are just two voices and I'm listening. It's an exchange. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a space that we are carving out for one another. I'm interested in you. You're interested in me. Mm -hmm. And when it's firing, when it really is firing, it's incredible for me because I find these sort of oral histories and, and stories so important. And, mm. and I feel like I'm contributing to that. I'm contributing to a greater narrative somehow. It's a little, you know, tiny bit, but it, they matter. And I take every one of them seriously. Yeah, but even if that wasn't true... Even just within yourself, it makes you happier to be present. Oh, yeah. It sounds like. So, so even if it wasn't contributing to anything bigger, just the act of being in the here and now and not dredging up the hurt of the past or stressing about an imagined catastrophic future, being just present with another human being at all. Because I've watched you do it in real time when the mics aren't on with strangers. Yeah. Where you do suddenly just get jazzed up about, oh, my gosh, this person's fascinating. Well, let me ask you a ton of questions. There's no mic. Um, it's just that you, you, you just suddenly get locked in because you're genuinely interested. I suppose the trick then is how do you, for yourself, because it makes you happier, how do you choose it more often? That's, that's, the, that's the battle, isn't it? It is the battle. And I think it comes down to, and I've got this on my monitor right now. I typed it out. Uh, there's a Studs Terkel quote, I tape, therefore I am. Mm -hmm. He recorded everything. He spoke to as many people as he could, and it didn't matter it, it, gender, race, uh, orientation, economic status. It, none of that mattered. He was just fascinated with connecting to someone over a story. And I think mm -hmm. that is going to be, and it is already, m my focus. And I think it's a tool to yeah. help me to learn to be more present. And it may not work yes. for everybody else. Maybe, maybe for you, it's a camera. Maybe it's a violin. Maybe yeah. it's, yeah. you know, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. But if we could learn to be present with one another and present with ourselves. Yeah. More than, 
focusing past or present, I mean, past or future rather, mm. I suspect that we end up being happier. Oh, yeah. We end up having better relationships. Yeah. We end up being more productive. We end up being ultimately better people. And I, you know, who knows? I could be completely off base, but I see it working in my own life yeah. on a very small scale. And I want more, Sean. I want more. I want, I want to put more effort into it. I want to put more time into it. I want to put more resources into connecting and not just with photographers or, or painters yeah, or yeah, musicians, yeah, yeah. but everyone. Anybody, yeah. Anybody who will, who will want to sit down and, and have a conversation. Because I, I, think, I think when you sit down and make room for someone and they make room for you, all of those differences that we get stuck on, if they don't fade away, they soften. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm after. That's, that's the goal moving forward. And I want to tell some interesting narratives. There are a couple of things that I'm working on now that, that uh, you know, we'll see where they go. But I think it's a good place to be. And I think if we could kind of collectively figure out what, what that thing is that lights us up and keeps us in the present and do more of that, man. That's that's the world I want to live in. I will say, like, uh, and I'm reluctant to say this a little bit, but I, I've just learned it for myself. So I have to, I have to kind of say it, is is I think it's great that you go out and you record everything and you use that as a tool to be more present because I absolutely have done that with a camera mm-hmm. and that's a good thing. But I I think I've learned recently that whilst I think everybody should do that, not only because. Um, you're actually going to create a ton of really interesting work that the rest of us really want to engage in. Um, but yeah, that it gives you, that it gives you a way to a, a physical thing to actually do that makes you more present. I think all those things are really, really good. But I, I reckon recently I've learned that the ultimate goal is to not need the thing to mm. be present, mm-hmm. to use it as a, as a way to get there and to learn the difference between being present and not present. But I, I've learned that, Sometimes I want to go for a walk without a camera yeah. because I don't want the crutch of being present. I just want to be present. Fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to be working out what a great composition. I was in Whitby a couple of weeks ago, an amazing evening, like the mist was coming in, but the sky above was clear um, and the moon was rising over the, over the, over Whitby Abbey on the cliffs and I, I was standing by the lighthouse in the harbour. Just an absolutely beautiful evening. And I, I, I was there with the camera. So I'm present, right? I'm present. I'm taking photographs because the camera is my tool to be present to this. And I suddenly realized I'm paying more attention to how to compose these images. And I'm not just breathing in sea air and listening to the seagulls and watching boats go in and out. And I put the camera away because there was another level of being present as well. So I, I think if you're struggling to be present, find that thing that makes you present, but then also have in mind that sometimes it's, it's, there's another level to go where you can hopefully transcend that tool and just be there. Because otherwise, I think in the long run, it becomes a crutch. Um, yeah, and sure. if you don't have your recorder, you can't be present, you tell yourself. Or if I don't have my camera, I can't be present, I tell myself, which is a lie. I might be able to be more present without it because I've learned the difference. So I think there's always deeper to go if you're willing to go. But yeah, I, I, I'm a big advocate of find that creative tool that makes you learn the difference between present and not present and gets you into the habit that you pick up as often as you can because it, it puts you in that good present headspace. Yeah. Have you, have you read, I know, I know it'll be the book everyone thinks of when you think of this. Have you read The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle? No. 
No, and I, I, I think, I can't remember if you and I talked, my mom was a big Eckhart Tolle fan, mm. um, but I have not read it. And it's, I think it's one of those things, if I look in my, in my queue, it's on my list of things to read because I am trying to read more this year. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this stuff kind of gets put in that, like, oh, it's just self-help stuff. So it kind of right. gets dismissed as fairly shallow. But I think, I think he, using sort of modern philosophy and a little bit of psychology, the premise of the book is, is sort of, and he approaches it from a lot of different angles, but, you know, getting out of that past or present head, or a past or future headspace into the present and realizing that the things we think are not necessarily us. Like our brain is, is another organ of the body, which fires off all day, every day. Um, and you can actually take a step back and watch your brain developing thoughts. You can say, oh, well, I'm having these thoughts a lot or these thoughts a lot. So the question he asks is, well, if you can do that, then, then who's doing the watching of your own brain? Maybe there's another level beyond your brain firing. And if you can learn to, to move into that space rather than just take every brain fire that your, your brain offers up you is like, oh, like, this is who I am, this is what I have to think about now, and actually take more control of that and be more present, it's, it gives you another level um, of being able to engage with the world, I think. And I also, I think as well, I mean, I, I can't remember... It has been a few years since I've read it, but I can't remember if he addresses this directly. But I think that's where a lot of our modern era malady of anxiety comes from, is thinking that every emotion or thought that we have is something we have to slavishly obey and dig into instead of analyzing, asking where it's coming from and putting it into context. You know, I think makes us more peaceful, more available for other human beings as well, if, if, if we learn how to do that well. And like you say, maybe that's picking up something creative that helps you get in that headspace more often. It sounds like conversations with people, is that for you? Being down in the paint studio, is, is, is that for you? Having conversations when the mic isn't on because you're just interested in somebody, those things you know, like those are the times I'm most present to life around me. And I, I wonder if there is something around familiarity. Am I more interested and I, and I will, I will only speak for me on this. Am I more interested in you if I don't know you that well? Mm. And is there a point where, where that, that interest wanes because we have become familiar? I, I don't think that's the case because if, certainly you and I have spoken for hours and hours and hours, and I don't <laughs> think that, that, that presence or interest has waned at all. And in fact, if anything, I think it's gotten better. We're into a six-year-long interview. <laughs> That's right. we, did pro- we did process driven one day, and we're kind of still going. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think that's true. But I think I think I think you might find that you go into interviewer mode, mm-hmm. in that you start to think in terms of of questions and your interest about somebody, um, and there is a mode that you slide into that's very present. And to keep that going with somebody who you know is more of a conscious effort, maybe that might be true. Maybe. Yeah. It's interesting in looking at some of these Eckhart Tolle books and in hearing you talk about it, there is a recognition or there seems to be, and I'm trying to understand this sort of brain firing and then something watching the brain and controlling that. It, it, it's almost like there, I have to let, I have to let go of control of, of this area of, of me being in control of my brain. And I have to relinquish that to this other, gosh, do we call it? higher I, I, I don't even know what you call it so but, i give you an example yeah please help so like i mean the example i use in my book is if you're driving uh, in a city and someone cuts you off in traffic um 
you, you, often your immediate response is anger. Like, I'm angry at that person. Look what they did. Like, do they think they're better than me? Like, why would they do that? Like, don't they care about anybody else? How selfish are they? Like, we're sure. angry. That's the emotional response, and those are the things we're telling ourselves. But I remember a specific example of that happening, and I stopped that. Like, that was my brain firing off. It was kicking. I couldn't stop it. That was autonomic. That's what it decided. That was the response it chose to, to that situation. And most people would have that and not question it. But I stopped and I questioned it and I took, I almost took a step back and went, hang on a minute. That's a strong reaction for someone who might not have even noticed you. Right. <laughs> they don't even or, know you exist. <laughs> it's not personal. I, right. I'm reacting like that guy insulted me. How dare he? I might, right. I might speed up and pull up next to him with the next traffic light and yell through the window. And he's like, who the hell are you? What, what are you talking about? Because he didn't even notice. That might be what happened. It might not be what I think it is. And I was able to say, well, hang on a minute. There's a, there's a strong emotion attached there and a reaction. So what might that be? And at the time I had just moved to London. So this would have been back in 2012. And I was feeling out of my depth in a city that was quite intimidating because it's very big and very fast. Driving in that city particularly gave me anxiety because I didn't understand the bus lanes and the different things that they had there. I'd already got a fine a few weeks before because I accidentally pulled round a corner into a bus lane that I didn't know was there and a camera flashed and I got a ticket. So I didn't really know and the traffic was quite fast and all the rest of it. And and I was scared about my future there. I wasn't sure if I was going to make it there. I was feeling quite unseen there. I was struggling to find a job there. All those things were going on. And I, I was able to take one step back from the from the thoughts my brain was kicking off automatically and put it in context and say, that strength of emotional response, if if I take a minute to get honest with myself about my my context in general and what's really going on in my life. That's more about the other stuff. It's not about that guy who might not have even noticed me. And I was able to be more present and honest with myself about what was really going on with me than just some guy's selfish maneuver with his car or, or, or unthinking maneuver with his car. That's that step up. That's that. I don't have to trust every, everything my brain automatically fires off. I can take a step back and analyze what it just did and decide whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, whether it's true or false, whether it's convenient and expedient or whether it's, it's, it's meaningful. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it absolutely does. It rings very true. And I'm, I'm, I'm hearing Adrian's voice in my head now asking me, why do you get so personally offended by so many things? <laughs> yeah, we all do it, though. We all do. I do it. As if it was targeted or tailored directly for you. And it's not. That's just not the case. You know, YouTube has been a really good teacher for this because the number of, let's be frank, assholes who hang out in comment sections on videos who, who just want to have a go at you because of their own frustrations, it's, it, it took me an embarrassingly long time to put that in context for myself and remind myself where that's coming from. Mm -hmm. because, you know, it might come across like it's an attack at me, but they don't know me. How can they be attacking me? They don't know what I'm doing and they don't care. They're frustrated and angry and they just want to vent it at the rest of the world. If I take all of those attacks personally, I'm an idiot. I'm a real idiot. I'm not, I'm not taking the time to think, well, maybe that comment came from a 15-year-old 
who's whose dad beats him and he's and he's in his basement trying to work out how the hell am I going to get out of this house I really want a creative outlet but everything I do I suck I can't get anywhere and now I just watch this video this guy it seems to be working for him and I'm just generally angry at the world and I notice one little flaw in his video so let me just say something just to to make myself feel better and vent this anger that I have and I jump on and act like he personally attacked me and fight back I'm an idiot I'm an idiot I don't know where it comes from I don't know what it's about so so when I'm able to take those steps up back and look at what my brain's reaction is to something like that and go, hang on, context, you don't know anything that's going on. It's not even worth responding to. I live a more peaceful life every time I manage to do that. I make my life easier. That's why it's so important to me. It's such an important thing to be able to do that as often as I can choose it, as often as I can find the clarity and the strength to choose that stuff. How did you first, or maybe not even first, but how do you, how do you learn to recognize that if someone, if this is ringing true with someone, or if this is resonating with someone who might be listening, what advice would you give them to start to be able to recognize if, if you're unaware when that's happening, how do you become conscious? Are there steps that you can recommend? Are there, is there advice that you can give to become aware and conscious of that so that you can take that step back and analyze? A journal. Yeah. is the biggest one I can give you is if you sit at the end of every day and you, you make it a practice and you have to do it for a while and you write down this, this is where the church was really good for me because they used, they had this culture in the church of quiet times. So, you know, all through my teenage years and my twenties, I would carve out at least half an hour every single day to write, sit down and, and read a bit of the Bible and to journal and to journal as honestly as I could manage. And, and, and analyze myself and try and better myself as much as I could. Mm -hmm. And I might have left behind the spiritual aspect of that and the kind of very evangelical side of that, but I, but I still do try and do some writing. If, if I feel emotionally wound up about something, but I can't put my finger on it, I mean, how often do we do that? Like we, we feel like anxious about something and then we lazily point our finger at, at, at a soft target, even though we haven't, uh, we haven't actually thought, is that really what's ticking me off? Is that valid? Right. It's to sit down every time we don't feel like things are balanced and to just start writing and just, it's like the morning pages stuff. Just let it like vomit it out on the page, whatever it is, and just write, write, write. And then, then read it back in a day or two and ask yourself, hang on a minute. I can see my own blind spot here with a bit of distance. And when the emotions aren't running as high, I can see that that's um, that's actually not what I was frustrated about. And the, the trick is this, is most anxiety and most anger and most fear is actually to do with ourselves and not somebody else. Mm. So when we're, when we're anxious or afraid or, or angry about something and we're pointing the finger at someone else who made us feel that way, it's usually not true is what I've learned. It's usually us something in us that needs to change because you can't change that other person anyway. And what they did is probably not as terrible as you're making it out to be when you actually put it down on the page. And, and the more you get honest with yourself, the quicker you're able to identify those emotions when they pop up and to go, Hey, it's not actually that that person is the devil and they said this thing and this is there out to get me. It's actually that I'm afraid at the moment because I'm unsure about my future or what's going on. And that's making me anxious and, and it's okay to feel that way because we feel that way many times in our lives. And I can just keep going and just 
say that, hey, I just had an anxious day today. I just had a fearful day today. And, and I'm going to have those every now and again. But I'm going to go on a walk now because it helps me clear my head. Or I'm going to go watch a movie that helps me just sort of settle down and focus on something else and be a bit kinder to ourselves. But the, the aggressive pointing the finger at everyone else and I'm always a victim, that doesn't serve you. It, it Honestly, you think it does because you can then blame someone else for the feeling you have or the thoughts you're having, but actually it just turns, I, th I think that turns you into bitter people at the end of the day. You have to learn to, to identify the stuff about yourself that's afraid. And it's, it's almost always fear. So journal, this is the long answer to that question. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's good. I will say that when I, I've gotten out of the habit of it, uh, but when I was doing morning pages, I mean, Adrian even noticed that, that less reactionary. I was, I was less, mm -hmm. less, uh, things didn't bother me as much because I could just get them out of my head, get the things from the day before or the evening before, whatever it was out of my head onto the page and sort of make room for new experiences and not keep dwelling on X, Y, or Z event that happened that I still hadn't processed or that I still hadn't let go of. Exactly. And I think, I think it is that simple. Whatever you need to do, and I think also, like what you said earlier, having friends who you can talk to who can tell you when you're full of shit and say, no, I think you're making an excuse there. Or I think, and look, it, it takes brave friends to do that. It's hard to find them. But finding those people who will, will not just agree with you when you moan at them, going like, yeah, this is terrible what this person did to me. And they go, yeah, that's terrible. I'm your buddy. Don't worry about it. That's not ultimately helpful if you can see actually your friend is making an excuse and it's something in them. If you're their friend, at that point, you have to be able to say, no, I, th I think you're making excuses. I think you need to deal with this in you. And if you've got that journaling and those honest mirrors, those friends who will tell you the truth about when you're creating convenient lies to avoid self-work, then I think you're, you're onto a winner. How did this episode land for you? Do you have any feedback or maybe an idea for a discussion topic? Let us know by emailing us at deepnatter at gmail.com. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app and support the show by leaving a review or a rating wherever you listen or by sharing it on social media. Help support the costs of producing the shows directly by tapping the donate button at jeffreysadoris.com. That's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S.com. Connect with Sean on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Tuck, that's S-E-A-N-T-U-C-K, on his website at seantucker.photography, or by searching for Sean Tucker on YouTube. If you haven't picked up a copy of his book, The Meaning in the Making, it's available through his website and at bookstores everywhere. Connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Jeffrey Sidoris. As always, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for listening. We appreciate your time, and we hope you'll come back for the next one. Thank you.